as always, it's an incredible privilege to be able to stand up here. Um, those of us that have the opportunity to preach, do not take it lightly. And Brent referred or referenced intercession. And I pray that you'll be interceding for me today because the subject we're going to be looking at today, friends, is very real. Not so long ago, Outlook had the byline, real people for a real world. And this, friends, is where reality hits the rubber, hits the road. And so I would pray, pray, friends, that there is interceding that is happening even as I am preaching. But before we go there, I want to ask, this is week six of the I Do series. I always love to ask the question, have you enjoyed what we've been going through? Yeah. Has it been helpful? Has it? All right. As we asked last week, friends, how much of the I Do have you been doing? Hmm. That, friends, is the real question. And my encouragement to you is, as you have listened over five weeks, as you will listen today, please don't take it about an agreement of, your I do agree with him. Oh, I do agree with the Bible. But take it beyond that, friends, into, I hear it, I agree, and I'm applying it. Bring the I do into your life, because that's where the real change happens, friends. And so no marriage series, friends would be truly complete without us talking about the subject of sex. That is where we are going today, friends. That is the subject that we are hitting. It may be uncomfortable for you to listen to. Believe you me, it is uncomfortable for me to be up here preaching the word of God to you around the subject of sex, friends. But you know what? It is way too an important a subject to be silent on. It is. For too long, church, the friends have chosen to be quiet on a subject that fundamentally, friends, is a key part in us understanding what God designed our marriages to be. You see, that void that was created, friends, has been filled. It has been filled. Culture, society, the lust of the flesh, the entertainment industry and mainstream media, friends, every day bombards you and I with what our sexuality and what our intimacy should be. And today, friends, I want us to go back to the Word of God. I want to see what the Bible, I want us to see what the Bible says, what God had in mind when He created sex. Are you ready to go there? Should we do it? I was reminded this morning, even as I was just trying to put some final touches to these notes. You know the group Salt and Pepper? Everyone heard the group Salt and Pepper? They had that song, let's talk about sex, baby. That's where we're going today. So pray for me, friends. So the big idea, like we always try and whittle this thing down to what is our big idea for our sermon? My big idea, friends, for us this morning is sex, God's way, glorifies a good God. Sex, God's way, glorifies a good God. And my structure of my sermon is going to be summing around unpacking those four statements about what does the Bible say about sex? What does the Bible say about what God wants sex to be? How does sex glorify God? And how do we find a good God in every, every season of our sexuality, friends? So won't you turn with me to Ephesians 5, verse 31 to 32. I want to read what Paul says about marriage. Ephesians 5, 31 to 32, Paul writes, he says, A man must leave his father 
and mother and be joined to his wife just as the two are united into one. I love Paul, he writes, and I sometimes so agree with him when he says, this is a great mystery. I'm not sure about you, but sometimes me being married to my wife, I can define as an incredible mystery. But Paul goes on and he draws this metaphor, friends. He says, but it is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. So what do we want to talk about sex, friends? There's three questions. Why is sex such a big thing? Why is sex so important to God? And why should sex be so important to me? You see, those three questions, friends, are answered when we look at what is the Bible's vision for sex, for, sorry, for marriage, and how does sex form part of that vision? So very quickly, because for the sake of time, there's a lot that we need to get through this morning. There are two foundation stones, friends, that the Bible describes as the mystery. Two foundation stones that this mystery is built on. The first foundation stone is this. Paul compares, he uses the metaphor. He says that just like Jesus and the church interact and interrelate, so do a husband and wife in marriage interact and interrelate, friends. As I begin to understand the way and the why in which Jesus interacts with the church, and I take that metaphor, and I superimpose that metaphor onto my marriage, I begin, to inter- I begin to understand the way and the why that I need to interact with my wife. And this includes the area of our sexuality, friends. In the context of this metaphor, when Paul describes it as being a mystery, the Hebrew word yada appears in the Bible. The Hebrew word yada is the Hebrew definition is to know. To, to yada someone is not just about having a head knowledge about someone, but it's about having a deep and profound heart knowledge of who they are. To yada someone, friends, is to know them beyond just physical, but it is to go into support, comfort, friendship, service, sacrifice, sharing, all those things, friends. To yada is to know someone, not just to know something. And the reason why that's important, friends, is when you go right back to the beginning, creation, Genesis, story of creation, what God created. It says that he created Adam and Eve and he gave them the instruction to go forth and, help me, to go forth and multiply. And so we see Adam and Eve begin to work this out, friends, in Genesis 4 verse 1, when it says, and Adam knew Eve. The New Living Translation version speaks about Adam knew Eve and she became pregnant. Other versions talk about Adam had sexual relations with Eve and she became pregnant, friends. But if you go back to the original Hebrew word that was used there, it says, Adam yada Eve. It went beyond, friends, just a physical. We need to understand, friends, that the way that that Jesus interacts and relates to the church and the way man and husband interact around this idea of being known and knowing is fundamental, friends, to the way God interacts and relates to you and I. We see also the other key in the Bible, friends, We see that the story from Genesis to Revelation is a God who wants to be known. He wants to be known. He is not a God of secret. He wants to be known. 
We see a God who makes himself known in the Bible, in, 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 the, in the Garden of Eden. He makes himself available. He leaves heaven to come down to the Garden of Eden. He makes his promises known as he begins to make himself known to his people. He makes his plans known as he begins, friends, to unpack who he is. In the New Testament, we see that he makes his son available to us to be able to reestablish the intimacy and the knowing of the father. Where sin brought division, the son brought a a unity again. We see, friends, it goes beyond Jesus when he makes his Holy Spirit available to you and I. All with the express purpose, friends, of showing us that God is a God who wants to be known. He enables us to get to know him, friends. The second metaphor that this mystery is built on, the foundation stone, friends, is the foundation stone of covenant. Jesus and the church, husband and wife, is a picture of covenant, friends. Covenant means joining together in partnership or agreement. The new covenant we have with God is the relationship that we have with him when we decide to put our trust in him. When we look at a husband and a wife, friends, a man and a woman, when they get married, they enter into covenant. In the marriage ceremony, there is a sharing of vows, covenantal vows. I will leave, I will cleave, etc., etc., for better or for worse. Those are covenantal declarations, a partnership that is being forged, an agreement that is being made, friends. But beyond that, it extends into the physical intimacy that we have with our spouses as well, friends. It's expressed through marriage, but it's also expressed, celebrated, and strengthened through sex within marriage, friends. When a husband and wife know one another, they share intimacy, they share privacy, and they share vulnerability. You see, friends, the right use of sex and sexuality leads us to a better understanding of God and his greater ways. Sex in marriage is incredibly important because it points us towards the type of relationship, friends, that God desires to have with you and I. When we are in covenant with him and we are able to know him in much deeper ways, just like we get to know our spouse in very intimate and deep ways, friends. And so when we look at the metaphor, friends, we begin to understand now how important it is that this thing of marriage we get right, and from that, how important it is that sex in marriage is done God's way, friends, because it either builds a greater revelation or it doesn't if it's done wrongly. So why is the devil so hell-bent on destroying sex? Well, if I had to ask you, how many books in the Bible are there? Chad, how many books in the Bible, bud? 60? 66, right? Now, let's take that one step further. How many books, how many chapters in 66 books of the Bible? Lots. Too many. Well, let me help you out here. There are 929 chapters in the Old Testament, And there are 1,189 chapters in the New Testament. Sorry, 260 rather in the New Testament. 1,189 in all. How long do you think it took God to regret that he had ever created man? 
Anyone want to hazard a guess? Well, let's go to Genesis 6, verse 5 to 6. The Lord observed the extent of the human wickedness here on earth, and he saw that everything they thought or imagined was consistently and totally evil. His description of his own creation, friends, is that it was consistently and totally evil. So the Lord was very sorry he had ever made them and put them on earth. It broke his heart. Six chapters, friends, into a book that is 1,189 chapters long, we get to the point of where God goes, Akanimirni with this creation of man. Because just after that, we read about Noah and the flood, and we understand what God achieved through that, right? 1 Peter 5, verse 8, Paul writes, he says, or Peter writes, he says, Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. John 10, Jesus, Jesus teaches, he says, The thief's purpose is to steal, to kill, and to, and to destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. You see, friends, the devil's strategy has not changed all the way from Genesis 6 right up until current day, right now, today. The devil's strategy has not changed, friends. Man has a propensity to self-destruct because we are prone to sin, friends. Because of the sin nature inside of us, we are prone to sin, and sin, we understand, friends, brings about destruction. That's why the devil goes around and says that he is like a roaring lion wanting to kill and to destroy friends because he wants to lead us into sin, just like he led the people in Genesis 6 into sin, friends. If you go and read that passage, you'll see there that not exclusively, but very much part of the reason why God came to a place of where he says, my heart is broken, was because of sexual immorality. You see, the Bible understands, sorry, the devil understands, friends, that if he can get you and I to be sexually immoral, if, we, if you and I choose to live outside of the Lordship of Christ, he begins to not only destroy us, but he begins to destroy the understanding of the relationship that we can have with our Creator, where, we, where he is a God who wants to be known and we are a God who is able to get him to know him. The devil understands, friends, that if he destroys your marriage, that metaphor of Jesus and the church begins to become tainted. It becomes perverted. It becomes uh, twisted. We lose understanding of what that metaphor truly means, friends. And the devil understands that if he wants to destroy your marriage, sex is a great way to do that. And so guess where he goes? He goes for sex. Because he realizes that if he can get a husband and a wife at a sexual level, friends, to disagree Eventually, the end game is to distort, pervert the understanding of we ha that we have of who we are in Christ Jesus. So how do we do God, sex God's way, friends? What do we need to hear about sex? Like I said, it gets very real. And so I'll ask you to extend me some grace, please, as we hit a couple of these subjects. Before we go into God's way around sex, friends, I want to remind you that you are not your sin. You see, amongst us here this morning, there are those, myself included, who have not in the past or currently may not be living according 
to the way God deemed sex to play out. Last week we saw, friends, that the devil tries to take our sin and define us by our sin. But we understand that the gospel is the gospel that changes our identity. We are no longer defined by our sin. We are defined, friends, by our position in Christ. When we come to Jesus, we find him as Savior. Our journey of lordship is becoming more like Christ. We are defined through that way, not through who we were, friends. As we begin to trust in Jesus and follow him, as we begin to make him Lord of our lives, friends, we begin to take on and understand God's way of doing sex. You see, God places a high value because he understands, friends, that sex is valuable. And so he sets a high standard. He doesn't play around. The gift of sex, friends, is best experienced when there are boundaries. He doesn't allow us to run around like we want. He puts boundaries in place because he understands, friends, that boundaries actually cultivate good sex. God was very specific around these boundaries. God was very insistent on how we express our sexuality, friends. And you know what? He could and he does because he created sex. So some of the obvious things, some of the boundaries that get hit every single day, especially in the city of ours. Sex is to be experienced between a husband and a wife within the boundaries of marriage, friends. Premarital sex or sex outside of marriage is described as sexually immoral and is not allowed. 1 Corinthians 7 verse 2 says, But since sexual immorality is occurring, each man should have sexual relations with his own wife. And each woman should have sexual relations with her own husband. Boundary number one, friends, sex outside of marriage is not allowed. You see, today's culture, I hear the guys talk about a hookup culture, which allows multiple sexual partners, is not on. It demeans and cheapens, friends, what God holds valuable and what he holds holy. The hookup culture, friends, is a transactional type of sex. Not about what I can give, but what I can get. Boundary number two, friends, sex is to be experienced between a man and a woman within the confines of a godly marriage. We understand clearly, friends, that homosexuality is not allowed. This one is a big one and is becoming every day a bigger subject, friends. Sex is to be expressed and experienced within a relationship that is defined by trust and respect that is expressed through love. You would have heard the world talk about GBV issues, gender-based violence issues. Friends, before the world was talking about it, God was talking about it when he said that we need to love and we need to respect and submit to one another. It was first God's conversation. Some of the obvious friends, those are you, ah, Quinton, yeah, I know those. All right, so let's go into some of the not so, some of the not so obvious, but yet still very important. You see, if we accept the premise that we see in the Bible about Jesus and the church being the blueprint for marriage between a husband and a wife, then we should use this blueprint, friends, 
to guide us in the type of life that we want to build with our spouse, especially in the area of our sexuality. You see, that blueprint, friends, speaks beyond just mechanics. It speaks beyond just the logistics of sex. It talks about the heart's attitudes. It goes to a deeper, deeper place around the subject of sex, friends. I want to read a, a passage of scripture to you that you probably would not have read in the context of sexuality. But with an understanding, friends, that the relationship that Jesus has with the church and how he interacted with the church speaks directly into how you need to interact with your wife or your spouse, I want us to read this section together this morning. Philippians 2, verses 5 to 8. It says, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Now, I encourage you that as we read this, friends, read this with hopefully what is maybe a newfound understanding of how a husband and wife need to interact. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his, his privileges he took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being when he appeared in human form. He humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. You see, friends, verse 5, it says that Jesus had the same attitude. And so, like I said, with the understanding, the premise, and the lens that we are looking at in terms of the relationship between a husband and a wife, as Jesus was with the church, the question I want to ask is, what is your attitude? What is my attitude towards sex, friends? What events, both good and bad, have shaped my attitude towards sex? Because you see, friends, the way, the attitude we have towards sex, friends, will directly affect the way sex is outworked in your life and in your marriage. Just like Jesus had an attitude towards the church, friends, so we too should have an attitude of kindness, of loving, and of acceptance. Verse 6, it speaks about being entitled. Though he was God, he did not think of equality of, of God with God as something to cling to. It speaks about an entitlement, friends. Your attitude going into your sexual life, is it one where you feel entitled to sex? Do you feel like your spouse owes you sexually? Do you demand sex, friends? Because that's not the attitude, friends, that Jesus had towards the church. Verse 7, it says, Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. We see that Jesus, friends, left heaven left his position, left his privileges, he left those behind and he came down to earth in human form, friends. What are those things that we need to leave behind when we come to our marriage bed, friends? What is the sexual baggage that you and I carry? You see, friends, we all come into our marriage with sexual baggage, your sexual baggage might come from a previous marriage. It might come from having had premarital sex. It might come, friends, from being exposed to porn use or whatever else. You come with sexual baggage, friends. Even if 
by God's incredible grace, you've, you've, you've been able to be, stay free of those things and you come to your marriage bed, friends, not having participated in all of that, you still come with baggage because you still come with expectations of what it should be. You still come with desires. What I would encourage, friends, is identify the sexual baggage that you have and by the grace of God, Leave that behind. Leave that behind. You cannot take that into your new or your current marriage, friends. And then we see verse 8. It says, he humbled himself in obedience to God. Jesus came to be served, friends, and not to serve. You see, humility, if we express it through the way the Bible views humility, humility is not thinking of yourself less, but thinking of yourself less often. It's not thinking of yourself less, but thinking of yourself less often, friends. And when we come, friends, with an attitude of we are coming to serve and not be served, just like Jesus left, humbled himself, took on the role of a servant, friends. When we come with that attitude of I'm going to put my spouse's needs ahead of myself, friends, we begin to understand how Jesus interacted with the church. And it begins, friends, to set us up for victory in the area of sex, friends. I want to mention just quickly for the guys. Sexual activity does not equate to sexual intimacy. You see, friends, as guys, we get these two very confused. Sexual, sexual activity does not equate to sexual intimacy. When I pursue a sexual experience with my wife, Nikki, and if I'm going after the act of sex first without going to the emotion that precedes that, friends, can I tell you, it is a recipe for disaster. We need, friends, to connect intimately and emotionally before we connect physically as guys. Can I say to the girls amongst us here this morning, be aware of what and how you think about your husband Depending on how long you were married, you'll remember that your, your husband standing there was your knight in shining armor. His, his armor was bling. His armor was glowing. His armor was bright, friends. But what happens is as you journey, friends, the armor tends to become tarnished. It loses its bling and a couple of chinks appear. You might find yourself having thoughts like, I wish my husband or my husband never fill the gap anymore or he always. Maybe conversations, friends, between your head and your heart where your head begins to convince your heart that your husband, your knight in shining armor, doesn't deserve your attention anymore, neither emotionally nor physically. Let's be aware, friends, of these things. So let's move now, because for the sake of time, to how do we find a good God in every season of our sexuality? How do we find a good God? Sex, God's way, glorifies, glorifies a good God, friends. This morning, I want to speak to four different married couples very quickly. I want to speak to newlyweds. I want to speak to those who have been married for a while 
and have a good sex life. I want to speak to those who have been married. But if you're honest with yourself, you, 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 you are in a sexless marriage. And then I want to speak lastly, friends, to someone who has sexual brokenness or trauma. So let's speak to the newly married first. Newlyweds, there's two types of couples here. There's those, for you, sex is effortless, effortless and happens without thinking. The sun is shining, the birds are singing, and life is awesome. Life is good. That's wonderful. My encouragement to you, friends, if you're in this position, excuse me, is start investing. Start investing. You see, you would have just come out of a life where if you're honest with yourself, it was very much about you and meeting your needs. God now joins you with another where he says you have an opportunity to start investing into somebody else. Start investing good practices. Thanks, bud. Good practices, good behavior, good habits into your sexual life, friends. The Bible speaks, it uses the words of giving and receiving. It uses the words of sowing and reaping. All of these, friends, are God's ways of doing life, right? God's ways of doing life. Guess what? That includes your sexual life as well. God doesn't set up his ways and then say, oh, but hang on, that doesn't apply to this area of who you are. God's ways, friends, applies to every aspect of your life. And so the encouragement from an early start is start sowing so that you can expect an incredible harvest into the future. It is so much easier, friends, to be sowing when the conditions for sowing are there. Couple number two, in terms of newlyweds or people who have just started, friends, on their sexual journey, is your sex life has hit a hurdle before it's even begun. You came into a marriage looking forward to eventually being able to have sex because this is what you saved yourself for. And it's not going according to the plan in your head. You see, friends, this can be for a variety of reasons. It can be because of anxiety, fear around sex. It can be because you've come with unrealistic expectations into your marriage. It can be because you have come or you are having unmet expectations in your marriage. It, be, it can be because of past trauma around sex. It can be for any number of reasons, friends. Two things that I'd love to mention to those that are hitting a hurdle of sex is that there are seasons. There are seasons. Be patient, be kind. Be understanding with both yourself and with your spouse. It's important. It's important to understand, friends, that when we choose to marry somebody, we are not choosing to run the 100-meter sprint, but we are choosing, friends, to run the marathon. Be kind and be patient. And then the second thing that I would love to speak to that couple about is be prepared to talk and to communicate. You see, the first thing that happens, friends, when unmet expectations are there is that people turn, tend to turn inward and they tend to, 
to stop talking. Talk to one another about what is going on. Learn, friends, the language that is needed. Learn to speak the language your spouse understands. And learn, friends, to talk to other people as well. Find someone who can help you through this period in your life because it becomes very lonely, friends. Very lonely. And we need people around us. I want to remind you that you are not broken. Your spouse is not broken. And the gift that God deems sex to be is still a gift he has for you. I want to speak to those friends who've been married for a good number of years. And there are many good miles under your sheets. The letter is written, friends, in Revelations 2 to the church in Ephesus. And the letter writes and says this. I've seen your good deeds. I've seen all the things you do. I've seen what you, how busy you are. I've seen this, I've seen this, but I have this against you. You have forsaken your first love. The church, friends, was going around doing good things, but yet in doing the good things, in, ter- in terms of being busy, friends, they had lost their first love. If you are that couple, friends, where you are going well, and it has been good for many years, can I encourage you to not, to, to not stop doing the things that you did at first? You see, what happens in life is we get busy, we get distracted, we get preoccupied, friends. And those things that we did that brought us to the place where we are now, somehow we had stopped doing those things in pursuit of other things. And then we wonder, friends, why sometimes the wheels one by one start dropping off. If it's going well with you, if your sex life is good, if you're heaven on earth, can I encourage you, don't stop doing those things that got you to that place, friends. I want to remind you, the grass is greener where you water it. The grass is greener where you water it. Don't come, don't be duped, don't be deceived into believing the grass is greener on the other side, friends. The Bible says the grass is greener where you water it, friends. You want to keep having a good sex life? Guess what? Water the grass. The last two, very quickly. If you're married, in a sexless marriage. I want to remind you what Proverbs 29 verse 18 says, friends. Proverbs 29 verse 18 tells us, it says, for the lack of vision, my people perish. For the lack of vision, my people perish. Can I gently ask you, have you lost vision for your marriage? Have you lost vision for the part that sex plays in your marriage? 
Because you see, friends, we can go around adjusting the mechanics and we can go around adjusting the logistics and those are important, friends. But if we don't come down to the heart of why it is that we are in the position we are, friends, the adjustments, the interventions that we are going to bring are but temporary, friends. We need to come down to the heart and understand what is the vision that we are carrying. You see, hurt and disappointment may have caused your heart to harden and your emotions to numb. As individuals, you have lost your identity in your marriage and you're living estranged. In other words, you're living like strangers under the same home, under the same roof. Can I remind you, friends, that the promise for, is the, for the gospel is that it has the power and the ability to change that identity. It has the power and the ability to change that identity both in you and in your marriage. Can I remind you what Joel 2 verse 25 says, friends? It says, that that the locusts have eaten can and will be restored to you. What is your vision for marriage, friends? Does it align with God's vision? For marriage. The reality is that this will be worked out, friends, once again between you and your spouse. But it will also need to be worked out, friends, in conjunction with someone that can help you to see. You see, the reality, well, yeah, blind spots are there because you don't see them. It's the reality of life. And we need those that love us and care for us to help us see blind spots, friends. And then lastly, I want to speak to you this morning. If you are someone who has experienced sexual brokenness or trauma. You see, the Bible teaches us that Jesus can empathize and sympathize with every situation that we find ourselves in. Because Jesus himself experienced trauma and brokenness. He understands. I want to remind you this morning that Jesus is the healer. I want to remind us this morning, friends, and we, we, we read about that, or we heard about that, is that because of the cross, we can come and stand before the throne of all thrones. And Hebrews 4 tells us, friends, is that we will find grace and we will receive mercy. I want to remind you this morning that Jesus not only heals, but he also restores. He is the restorer of that which is broken. He is the restorer of that which is lost. He is the restorer of that which is stolen. And then finally, friends, I want to remind you that Jesus places you in family. That's what the Bible says. He places you in the context of those who love you. And so as we look back to this, what is the big idea? Sex, God's way, glorifies a good God. I want to encourage us this morning, friends, is that as we progress along this journey, but as you progress along your life, that Jesus is both your Savior and your Lord. As we find him as our savior, he saves us. 
But as we make him Lord in our lives, friends, he restores us. Salvation redeems us. Lordship restores us. And so I don't know where you are at. Maybe if you don't mind standing. I don't know where you are at this morning, friends, in terms of your journey with your spouse. But maybe if you would just take 30 seconds. Before your Savior, and allow him to speak to you as a father. I would encourage you to work in finding the agreement in the word of God, with the word of God, the I do. Work to find the I do agreement. And then work, friends, work in your marriage with your spouse to outwork it, the I'm doing. And so, Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you, Lord, that it is living and active. I thank you, Father, that it speaks into every area of our lives, especially the area of sexuality, Lord, especially the area of my sexuality with my wife. And I ask you, Lord, would you work where work is needed? And would you help me to join you as we pursue, friends, a biblical understanding and an expression of sex in our marriage. Thank you, Father, for your protection over us. Thank you, Father, for your leading and guiding of us. Lead us through this, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.